Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Well, today we're finishing our series, which we've been doing, I hope you've enjoyed it, called I Saw It Coming. And this series has all been about uh, preparing for what's ahead, even though we don't know what's coming in this year. Who knows that good things are ahead, better than you imagine, but also in the same way, there are probably some things that are going to uh, hit you differently. There are some things that are going to uh, be a bit of a challenge and a struggle for you. And so that's what this series has all, all been a- about. And today we're going to finish the series. And to start off with, I want, to, I want to talk about, one of the things the Bible talks about is life and death. Life and death. And in fact, Jesus came that we would defeat the power of death and have eternal life with God. Have you ever thought about what happens when you die? Probably some of you have and some of you haven't. When, when we die, where are we going to go? But Jesus has come to renew us and to give us new life. So one of the, the themes of the Bible, as you start to read it, the themes of the Bible is death to life. And part of what our calling is as a local church is to be a life-giving community. And Jesus, in fact, describes is described in the Bible as a life-giving spirit. So there's this idea that part of our role is to bring life to areas that are perhaps dead, perhaps a little destroyed, and to see the renewing power of Jesus at work. So we've got this trajectory that we're invited to, death to life, But who knows that there can be some other things that happen in life where we can actually destroy and that there is an opportunity for where there is life, where there is health for things to come and destroy that. And we can actually go the other way from life into death. And there are powers and forces within us and within the world that would seek to destroy the good things that God wants us to have. He wants us to experience the life, the relationships. Now, the Bible uses the word sin to describe that. Sin is a destructive force that wants to destroy, that wants to separate, that wants to bring where there is life, bring death. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but one of the purposes of local church is that we would help each other defeat the power of sin in our life. Have you ever thought about that? That we can come into church and we can be, okay, like churches, yeah, it's a place where I come and I sit next to other people and I lift my hands and I sing and then afterwards we have a bit of a coffee, a bit of a chat. Sure, that's part of church. But actually, when we study the Bible, church, as you you begin to build relationships, form relationships... Church is actually a place where I recognize that it's our job. You recognize it's your job to help me. I recognize your job. You know, we help each other 
to actually be a life-giving force and we have a responsibility to help each other. Now, that type of community is different. That type of community takes some intentionality. That type of community takes some trust that is built over time to have some accountability. Now, it's possible to overstate that. And it's possible, and I know that some of you have been in different churches where churches can be really like, everybody's like suspicious of each other and like watching you, your every move and like wants to make sure you don't mess up and you have this picture of God is like, is this like a principle. Uh, I don't know, like I'm a little bit older, but when I was in primary school, I got the cane, okay? And some people had this idea that God is like waiting to like, if you're out of line, which I was a lot in, in, in primary school, he's going to hit you. And it's possible to overstate the type of community that we're in. It's also possible to understate the community that we're in, that we can just like float along, do whatever we want, and I don't have any responsibility to you, you don't have any responsibility to me. And that's not designed to be enforced, but that's something that we opt in to say, I want to be in a life-giving community where I'm surrounded by people that want to help me and I want to help them head towards God. So today I want to talk, we've been talking about a a Bible character called David, and I want to talk about a destructive story, a damaging story in his life, a story that actually brought where there was life, where there was health, brought death. And actually, if we study the life of David, which we have and we've been reading along in in our Bible plan, if we study, he, he started off so well. And he was described as a man who had a heart after God. And he was anointed king at a young age. And he defeated a giant called Goliath. And then he was on the run for many, many years. And Eventually, he was crowned king, and then when he was king, he united uh, the North and South Kingdom, and he had all kinds of military success. So his life is, in fact, up to this point, there's two parts, the early days, then the part where he becomes king and he has military success. But this is, in a way, the third episode of his life. And the story... This story of destruction and death where there was life begins when David was tempted by something that he saw. Now, the book of James chapter 1 says temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. So temptation is a trigger, it's a moment, it's an opportunity where we have situations in front of us, we have opportunities to do the wrong thing, to act in a way that would destroy and damage relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with others. And we have this moment of temptation, which are a crossroads. What are we going to do? And it attaches to something that's within us. Do you know in the Bible, the Apostle Paul he says that the Old Testament stories, such as this one from David, 
happened as examples, as 1 Corinthians 10, that were written down as warnings for us. And it says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And today we're talking about preparing to overcome temptation. Preparing to overcome. This passage says we can learn from other people. We can learn from the stories of the Old Testament. And each and every one of us, in one way or another, in one stage of our life, we are going to be at a crossroads where we have opportunities to do things that would destroy relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with ourselves. But God says, I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. And I want you to know that you have the power to overcome every temptation that is in front of you. So guess what? Temptation is coming your way. Temptation is coming your way. You can be confident that in your life you are going to have opportunities to do the wrong thing. But what we're here to do right now as a community is to say, how can we prepare for that? How can we ready ourselves? How can we create environments of strength and of life that help us to overcome that temptation? So here we go. We're going to jump into this story, 2 Samuel and chapter 11. It says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. That's significant. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. And the man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. And now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. In this story, what happens next is shocking. And it's shocking because it shouldn't happen to anyone. But what we see is this king, King David, we see him go in this cycle of adultery. He takes another man's wife. He ends up killing the husband, ambushing him, setting him up on the battlefield. He ends up lying, deceiving, covering his tracks. And we see that in this moment where there was health, where there was strength, where there was life, there now becomes death. People are dying, but also there is a death to David's character. There is a death to his integrity. 
And there is destruction that actually continues down his family line. If you continue to read the story in Samuel's, you'll see that his one of his sons rapes his uh, half-sister and then the other son uh, goes uh, crazy about it and ends up overthrowing the kingdom and publicly sleeping with David's concubines. It's a shocking story. And it starts in this moment, this cycle, this cycle of death and destruction and what was healthy, what had life, begins to be destroyed through the power of temptation and sin. The other reason that it's shocking is because it's very unlike David. David is described as a man after God's own heart. He is described as a man of the strongest conviction. He is described as a man of the highest devotion. There are opportunities, there are words of his that are recorded and and he says things like, I wouldn't do this because it would dishonor the Lord. I wouldn't do this because it would dishonor the king. I wouldn't do this because it would dishonor the people. And there is this something that's happened, a shift that's happened in David because in this story, David is not acting in that way. In fact, the person who sounds more like David is Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. If you read the story, and we won't read all of it, he begins to say things like, oh, I couldn't do this because it would dishonor God. It would dishonor people. It would dishonor the army, the fellow soldiers. It would dishonor you as the king. I couldn't do that. And at some point, we don't know when, we don't know how, David loses his conviction about what really mattered most. And at some stage, there was a heart change. There was a shift in what was most important to David, this man of the highest integrity after God's heart, where he, he, he would honor those around him. He would honor God and something happened to him where it shifted and he did not act in character. And from this story, here's what we can say. We can say this, that we defeat temptation when we have strong conviction about what really matters. We defeat temptation when we have strong conviction about what really matters. And today, if we're going to be a community that wants to join together, starting from the inside out, to get over time to build trust, not with everybody, but with somebody in this community that says, hey, we've got to be a community of strong convictions. We've got to be people who have worked out what really matters to us. Because if you don't know what really matters to you, you will be like a leaf in the wind. You will be this way and that way. You won't be able to build anything in your life. You will self-destruct. But when we decide, starting from the inside out, that we are going to be a community with strong convictions, this is when we have the power to defeat temptation. And I want to give you a couple of things 
that matter and should be part of our convictions from this passage. This whole episode where David has this affair, he ends up getting Bathsheba pregnant, he lies, he deceives, he murders, he covers up. At the very end of this passage, there is this striking scripture, 2 Samuel 11, the second part. It says this, But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. And the first point is this, it matters that I live my life to please God. This should be one of our convictions, I believe, as Jesus follows, that we live a life that pleases God. Now, we get to the end of this episode and we get an indication that God is unhappy. Isn't that an amazing thing to understand the character of God? That God hates murder? In this story, David David used Bathsheba as an object. God hated it. He hates when we destroy each other. He hates when we destroy relationships. And it matters how we treat people. Do you know it matters to God how you live? It matters. Do you know it matters if you're married, how you treat each other in that relationship? Do you know it matters how we treat each other in the workplace as neighbours? It matters to God and it should matter to us. And as we begin this journey, we need to have strong convictions about what matters to the Lord. We are called to live a life of obedience that pleases God. Do you know what the most common alternative now in our society is? I just want to do whatever makes me happy. Do you know I know some people that live like that? They're not the happiest people. Is that true? Maybe you've got a different experience. And I had a conversation with someone recently and And they were doing some things which they probably wouldn't have done a couple of years ago. And they said, oh, I just want to be happy. And we had some relationship and and a friendship. And I said, that just, that sounds like a big, a really bad idea. I said, I wouldn't tell anyone to live to do, live their life and what makes them happy. That's a recipe for unhappy. I wouldn't tell any of my kids, hey, I want you to live your life based on what makes you happy. That's really bad advice. Here's some other advice, which is tested over time, which will bring life and health and wholeness, that we can live our life on what pleases God because God knows the way to live. The second thing that we can understand from this this story is this. It matters that I stay active in my calling and service. Now, David was called to be king, and David was known as a warrior king. And this whole episode starts when David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
when David has clocked off from his responsibilities. And I want to encourage you that a place of fulfillment and a place of health and a place of life and a key to overcoming temptation in your life is being at the right place at the right time in the place that God has called you. Now, some of you, you might be new to this whole journey. And if you don't know what God has called you to, you don't know what God has gifted to you, you don't know the area of service, we will help you find out. That's a big part of what Discover is that Gwendy talked about. We'll help you do that. So some of us are there. Some of us are like, we know, but we're kind of like, we don't know what the first step is. We've had prophetic words. We've had um, different things that we've recognized. God has spoken to us about different things. And we're like, okay, I know it, but I haven't done it. But sometimes we get in a zone. Perhaps we get a little tired where we just clock off or retire from service, and God hasn't called us to do that. God has called us to stay in the flow of service, in the anointing of God, in the place that God has called us. And this is a key to defeating temptation. All right, the third one here is this. It matters that I deal with sin in seed form. And this is what happened, this first part. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful. Watch this sequence that is described on how temptation grows to sin, grows to death from James 1, 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Here's what happened. David had this, he saw something and then he thought about it and then he explored it. Then he allowed it to capture his imagination and he entertained it. And eventually, he acted on it to see how that he allowed, in the same way that James, the book of James described this, there was something that was a seed, but he allowed that seed to grow and take root. Do you know this happens both to bring life into your life, to take a seed, to take a word from God, to cultivate it, to nurture it? to think about it, let it occupy your imagination, your vision. But it also works in the other way that we can have a thought, we can uh, see something, we can have an experience that we can hold on to and we can allow it to capture our imagination, we can entertain it. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, he's talking to some people and he says, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? And this is really important for the life of a Jesus follower, that when you come to, to my house and I would say, if you come at the door, I'd say, hey, welcome, come in. I'm so happy to see you. Can I get you a drink? Here's some things that I prepared. Make yourself feel at home. And Jesus is saying sometimes we can do that with the wrong thing. 
We can let people in. We can let thoughts in. We can take something that is small and allow it to grow and give it space in our hearts and in our minds and allow that thing to grow and take root and eventually give birth to death. What happens is it attaches to desire. Now, in this story, uh, David already has seven wives, okay? And he also has some concubines. So not God's plan, but this is what happened. So you would say that he was catered for this, probably he was having enough sex, okay? We'll just say it that way. But obviously there was a desire within him that he allowed to master him and this experience that he had, he connected it to a deep desire and allowed it to be something that was no doubt extremely, uh, something that he wanted and motivated him and was pleasurable for him, but eventually brought him death. And for us, and this is real talk today, we need to realize that some destructive, that every destructive thing that could come in your life will come in seed form. And we must recognize and we must be active and we must recognize that it's easier to destroy a seed than kill a tree. Who here has ever taken a tree out? Or has got trees, right? Not easy to do. Chainsaws, get a, a, a ute, try and rip it up. There's also all kinds of machines that you do. It is not easy to do. But if you hold a seed in your hand, there is potential in that seed. And we must recognize that we need to be dealing with sin in its seed form. Here is some uh, stats that I've shown here before, but I think it's very interesting. It says the average person has 6,000 thoughts a day. Did you know this? 6,000 thoughts a day. And uh, two university studies uh, said 500 of those thoughts are unwanted and intrusive. 90 thoughts for the average person are unacceptable and unhealthy and for the normal person has 65 ugly and evil thoughts a day. Who's ever heard of this before? The point of this is we've got these thoughts which we can't control. I don't believe that we have power to control every thought that we have. But my point is what are you going to do with these thoughts? Because many thoughts... You could look at it this way. You have 65 seeds per day that you need to deal with. That every thought that comes into you, you need to exercise responsibility. Am I going to entertain this thought? Am I going to allow this to grow? Am I going to give this a place of hospitality? Or am I going to reject this particular thought. And that's what God calls us to do. How do we do that? Really simply, we just bring it to the Lord. 
we just train ourselves to think. We just say, hey, God, I had this thought. It wasn't good. It wasn't right. I don't want any part of it. I surrender it to you. The fourth point here is this one. It matters that I listen to godly people in my life. I love this in the New King James. It says, And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It sounds like this person is trying to get David's attention by adding a lot of information. David just sees this woman as an object of his desire. But it says, somebody says, isn't this a person? Isn't this somebody's daughter? In fact, there's even evidence to say that this Bathsheba was the granddaughter of one of David's advisors. Don't you know this person? Don't you know this person's uh, husband? Don't you know this person's dad? Don't you know this person's granddad? And I want to encourage you that part of our community is to position yourself where you have a someone in your life, that you have community, that you have places where you have godly voices in your life. Now, it's possible for you to currently be in situations where people don't give good advice, where people don't uh, know what it is to follow Jesus or live and honor the people around them. But I want to encourage you that the local church is a community that is a community of accountability. And this is really important to us defeating the power of temptation and sin in our life. I believe that we need to commit to create environments that are difficult to sin and easy to please God. I've got friendships, I've got groups, I've got lots of environments where if I started to go off the rails, that people would be like, what are you doing? That's not you. I'm married to my beautiful wife. She wouldn't tolerate any anything. She's like, what are you doing? That's not you. That's not your character. That's not your calling. That's not what God. And God, I want to encourage us that that is part of what God has placed us into. To create environments that are hard to sin and easy to please God. Do you know that uh, David was so self-consumed and so oblivious he didn't recognize within himself that what he was doing was wrong. And God sent another someone to him, a guy by the name of Nathan, the prophet. And he confronted David. And David had this moment, this moment where his heart was just ripped in two. He, he knew what he had done and he knew the effect that it could have 
And Psalm 51, quite a famous psalm, was written in this moment by David. David, uh, an amazing songwriter and poet. Someone who poured his heart out to God. And he said this, Have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you know that David repented and God forgave him? And it matters that we humble ourselves in the grace and mercy of God. When we're talking about things that can be done, have been done, that destroy families, relationships with God, I think all of us in this room could say, yeah, there's been times that I've messed up. There's been times that I was at that crossroad where... I knew what was right, but I, I did what was wrong. And that's all of us. And we have the grace and the mercy of God. I just want to take a moment. We'll be done in just a couple of minutes. I just want to take a moment just to give an opportunity, just a grace moment in this time. I don't know what your journey is. I don't know if... You're someone and during this message that God has been strengthening you, preparing you. Maybe there's been a specific situation which is a a trap and a temptation in your life. Maybe there's something in your past or maybe you've never been in a community which has taught you how to honour people, how to honour God, how to live for others. I want to take a moment to pray together and I want to pray for a couple of groups of people why don't you stand in this moment I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just so that people can signal to me and I can pray with them I want to pray for anyone and I know this is a bold move but you've got a situation in your your life and you feel something within you that's like I need to get this right I'm not going to ask you what it is, but I do want to pray for you. And if you're here while everyone's eyes are closed and you say, hey, I got a situation that I need the grace and mercy of God. I need to be restored to God. There's something that I've done that hasn't pleased God. I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to lift your hands? And I want to pray for you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, to cover, to cover these things. Lord, if it was yesterday or five years ago or 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whether it was that person's own doing or something happened, Lord, we just release your grace and mercy. Lord, we pray you would renew a right spirit, that you would restore the spirit of righteousness in these people's hearts. Lord, I thank you for their courage and their humility to say, I need you in this moment. And we thank you for that, God. This morning, I want to give an opportunity
for anyone to take a first step in following Jesus, to allow Jesus to come into your heart, to give him an opening, to open your life as a first step to follow Jesus. If that's you and you want to do that, you want me to pray for you for that first step, why don't you just put up your hand and I'd love to pray for you in this moment. If that's you, is there anyone here that you you say, hey, I want to take that first step in following Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah, I see those hands. Anyone else? God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you're restoring hearts. You're restoring relationships. And we honor you for what you're doing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community. Thank you.